1: for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. Timber Anderson.
2: Yes, hello. Hi. <laughs> uh,
1: we're going to be talking today about Black Lives Matter and how the media responded to their interruption, their protest at the Gay Pride Parade. And we're going to be talking about everybody's celebration of Canada. It's Canada's moment. It's Canada Week. It's Canada Time. Everybody loves Canada. We'll be talking about all that stuff. Yes. Welcome back to Canada Land Shortcuts.
2: Yes, thank you very much.
1: This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Will Soldat, Rob Heydari, Stephen Murray, Monique Tobin, John Semley, Peter Robinson, Joel, and Sean Downey. Sean, why did you decide to be awesome?
2: Because I listened to the podcast for a couple of months and I realized that it was
1: Help as the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get ten percent off of your first month at BetterHelp.com/CanadaLand. That's BetterH.E.L.P.com/CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by ShipStation, and ShipStation is just the solution for anybody who sells stuff. Physical stuff on the internet that you then have to ship. In the time that it's going to take me to tell you just a little bit about ShipStation, you can sign up for ShipStation. You can plug in all of your various accounts, whether you're selling things through Shopify or Etsy or your own website, you can plug it all into ShipStation. It will take all of your orders, it will suck your orders from all of those different places, and then you can immediately print shipping labels to ship your stuff to people through UPS, FedEx, Canada Post, if they're not on strike. It's all compatible. They know how those different shipping services want those labels formatted. It's compatible with shipping in Canada. This is the fast and easy way to manage your business if you ship stuff. It is the number one choice for online sellers in North America. Do not wait. Go to shipstation.ca, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type CanadaLand in, shipstation.ca, offer code Canada land. And this episode is also brought to you by fresh books and people. It is the summertime. There is nothing more that you would rather not do than deal with your invoicing or billing if you are a freelancer or a small business. And that is why it is wonderful that you can just forget that stuff, go on your vacation, go to the cottage, go wherever it is that you go and keep tabs of your business through FreshBooks mobile app. You can work anywhere. You can create professional invoices on a phone, send the invoice off. You will know when somebody looks at the invoice. You can get paid via a credit card. You can create estimates and quotes. You can have recurring invoices. This is all about saving you time, making things run better. This is about having your own accounting department, even if you are a one-person business. Go to freshbooks.com right now. Try it out for free for 30 days. No credit card required when you become a customer. Tell them that Canada Land sent you. Thank you, FreshBooks. September, if anybody happened to somehow miss this story... Uh, Maybe you could summarize it for us.
2: Um, Black Lives Matter Toronto was invited to Pride as honoured guests. And throughout the parade, they staged a kind of impromptu sit-in that halted the parade for about 30 minutes. Um, And they issued a list of demands, which included, I believe it was a reintroduction of the South Asian stage and more funding for various events under the Pride umbrella for marginalised youth, including trans people, LGBTQ of colour.
1: And also that Pride should not allow the police to have a float.
2: And most importantly, that... Not only should the police not be able to have their float, but the police also usually have a kind of kiosk thing set up and that that should be disallowed as well. So the removal of police, not presence, but celebration during Pride.
1: And Pride quickly, uh, after 30 minutes, signed a document saying that they would meet these men's. They later kind of reneged and said, oh, we just did that to get the parade moving again. Uh, So there's a question as to how much of that they're actually going to honour. Here's how the media covered it. The reaction has been fast and furious against organisers of Toronto's Pride Parade and a group that blocked the march with smoke bombs and sit-ins. Members of Black Lives Matter were part of the annual parade until they suddenly turned on it. (laughs) Canada's largest pride parade is an annual celebration of inclusion. But a day after the massive march, some feel instead it took a major step back. So that I I think is, is a pretty indicative, like the tone of that is what we heard everywhere. Before we talk about whether or not Black Lives Matter was right or wrong to do this, it was kind of alarming to see both in the news coverage and the punditry around this how shocked people were at how disruptive Black Lives Matter was.
2: Yes, which is also shocking considering that Black Lives Matter's brand of activism is disruption. So it's kind of odd that people are surprised by the disruption. Another thing, it's kind of like with Orlando where you've got people who normally don't care about the LGBTQ community all of a sudden using that as an opportunity to be Islamophobic. So you've got pundits who generally don't care about LGBTQ people using this as an opportunity to be anti-black.
1: Yeah. Okay. There's a couple of things worth noting there. The first thing being this this like, I can't believe that these protesters disrupt. It's like, that's what they do. Yeah. That's how that kind of protest works is that they disrupt things. You know, it's interesting. CBC is always instructive in illustrating how media can be biased, even when it's not. About an opinion piece, because CBC, yes. of course, is not allowed to print opinion pieces. So Mark Gollum, who, I you know, we've kind of like noted that he does these types of pieces. He did them after the Gomeshi case. He did a story I'm like, can Gomeshi repair his public image? And Mark Gollum went to a bunch of PR professionals. It was a very strange piece. And now he's done a similar thing to say like, has Black Lives Matter ruined their image? We've asked a bunch of PR professionals. Steve Fagate uh, was quick to note on Twitter that, Every one of the experts who the CBC asked uh, was white. Yes. So asking a bunch of white PR professionals, has Black Lives Matter outstayed their welcome? And and is this going to hurt their public perception? And uh, it was pretty generally agreed that they did. Marcel Wider was one of the PR professionals who was quoted. And he says, well, you know, they were effective in some ways. But then, and here's a quote, they overplayed their hand Hmm. and went after the police community. And that's where they did themselves a bit of a disservice. It was later pointed out that Marcel Weeder actually has done PR work for the cops.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Another one of the
1: experts quoted said, people may tire of such disruptions. It's boggling, isn't it? It's like, that's the point. They Dis- stopped a parade. Yes. They're not
2: trying to make things comfy. Also, I think speaking to PR professionals is really absolutely ridiculous in this case. The whole thing is not for you to like us. It's for you to make these changes that we're asking you to make. So in terms of our image, we don't care what you think about us. We want you to make these changes. Do you think that the Black Panther Party, not that I'm saying, I'm not saying at all that Black Lives Matter Toronto is like the Black Panther Party. But do you think the Black Panther Party cares if Nixon likes them? That's not what this is about.
1: Yeah, I mean, the idea is to fuck shit up. It's sort of asinine to talk about them the way you would talk about like a paper towel brand, you know, like, is this brand still fresh? Do people like this brand? It's like, the brand is... We don't like the status quo when we want things to be different. The yes. brand is, as I understand it, we live in a racist society. We want to see progressions for black people. We want actual tangent, well, like they don't succeed or fail on the basis of whether people like them. They succeed or fail, I think, in the most practical terms on the basis of whether the, the specific initiatives that they're trying yes. to uh, achieve are met or not. And in a wider context, I understand this kind of political action is yes, you are
2: putting in people's face the like you don't yes. want to deal with this. We're going to force you to deal with it. But that's the whole purpose of protest. That's why you do it so people will look. It's not whether or not you will like me. It's whether or not you will look. Yeah, it's protest is disruption. That's the point. Um, and I think that, like you said, all these pundits and various media people have completely missed the point, so speaking of the pundits, you
1: bring up this um, I guess, conceit that we're supposed to buy into that these pundits care. Like Margaret Wente starts with this, I think, rather disingenuous celebration. Toronto's legendary Pride Parade is a festival of inclusiveness. So all of a sudden, Margaret Wente is a huge proponent of, of pride. Yes. Like for the purpose of this argument,
2: she loves the Pride Parade. Like I said, it's the same thing with Orlando. A lot of people who don't give a damn about LGBTQ people, they're like, hmm, who do I hate more? LGBTQ people <laughs> or Muslim people? Right. Hmm, Muslim people. So I'm going to use them as the tool. This is the same thing Susan Wente is, ju- I mean, Margaret Ma- Wente is just using the LGBTQ community to be anti-black.
1: Let me digress wildly here, because I know there are a lot of people out there saying, like, stop talking about Wente. You're making her more powerful. Yeah. If, if, we, if we ignore her, she, she- I'm oh, a person I- who says that. Yes. Okay. Well, then <laughs> let me speak to you. Yeah. Margaret Wente is not relevant because we speak about her now. She is not relevant because she makes people angry on Twitter and people give her that attention that she so desires. Margaret Wente is relevant because the Globe and Mail publishes her. Like if Margaret Wente was fired, as she should have been five times from the Globe and Mail and had like piggy posts, her own personal blog, uh, or had to move to like the Rebel, which is where she belongs, she would not be getting this attention. No one would be paying this much attention to her terrible- But isn't it
2: a kind of cycle though? The Globe and Mail publishers are people read her work, they share it widely, they hate click- they hate share, yeah, which just continues to support her. You know what I mean? If I write articles or create content for a publication and people don't read it, they can't afford to keep me anymore. Let me address this point directly. It's just rational that you would assume
1: that a newspaper would be in the business of like, well, lover or hater, that's the number one story this week, so we're going to keep her around. I think that there's a level of media literacy that is lacking that because we kind of conceive of media economics based on American media. Canadian media... Clicks are basically worthless, right? We Mm -hmm. do not get the scale of clicks for that to be a substantial revenue model. Like the Globe and Mail does not really make any more money if Margaret Wente's columns are widely virally shared in Canada. The Globe and Mail's business model is very much whatever it is, as they're trying to salvage it, is about subscriptions. And I think if you're in the Globe and Mail subscription department, Margaret Wente is a problem because you need younger people to subscribe to the Globe and Mail. Maybe you'll lose a few people if you get rid of her, but she wouldn't, she would just like retire and it would be done in a way of like, okay, no one's going to like cancel their Globe and Mail subscription if yeah. they got rid of Margaret Wente, unless it was some like acrimonious thing where Margaret Wente was saying like, I didn't deserve to be fired and this paper is yeah. non-politically correct. But absolutely she is an inhibitor for a lot of young people. Like I think that she is basically against the Globe and Mail's business interests.
2: But I think that you think that young people are more moral than they actually are. Because while Margaret Wente is a smear on the Globe and Mail, Globe style also has some popularity with young people. Young people are not, and I don't mean young people like 20-year-olds, whatever, even people my age, even when you look at Uber. Uber is immoral and all of these things, but it's also convenient and I like it, so I'm going to continue to support it. So I think a lot of the readers are as moral as the Globe and Mail is who continues to publish Went. I
1: don't think that young people
2: are avoiding subscribing to the Globe and Mail
1: because I don't think it's a moral decision. Uh, Like, they have Margaret Wente, so I'm not going to subscribe. Well, I
2: canceled my subscription because of that. Because of
1: Margaret Wente. Yes. I think that she's just like, to go back to the other thing, I think that unlike Black Lives Matter, their brand does matter. The Globe and Mail's brand does matter. Yeah. And they need young people to buy digital subscriptions. And the fact that they're still publishing this, you know, she's a fraud.
0: and a plagiarist and a
1: plagiarist right Yeah. and somebody tweeted uh, and it's funny because the tweet was actually plagiarized from Dan Spearin, but somebody tweeted whoever wrote that Margaret Wente column should be ashamed
2: Yeah, which is
1: hilarious and maybe it should just be an an eternal tweet that we can reuse anyone should be allowed to reuse that
2: whatever they want I'm going to look for it and retweet it every day I just (laughs) I'm going through this whole
1: motion just only because I think that if we can detach Margaret Wente's survival uh, as like, oh, well, the market wants her. So but no, it's actually something else wants her. And maybe it's because the Thompsons have something, you know, like devil's packed with her yeah. or maybe it's because she supports some sort of status quo that is more about why the Globe and Mail is around than uh, yeah. having a successful business case. But like, I think that there's a more interesting conversation about the survival of Wente's retrograde opinions. Yeah. If we take it out of this context of like, oh, it's because it makes money. She yes. doesn't make them any money. That's my theory, anyhow. I mean, I've heard nothing from the Globe to suggest that she's making them the bucks. Yeah. I'd love to hear that argument. I haven't heard that like convincingly put forward or even put forward at all. What do you think about the protest itself? To stray a little bit from the kind of media yeah, uh, analysis of this.
2: Firstly, there isn't really any media analysis, right? We either have, quote unquote, progressive media fangirling over Black Lives Matter Toronto, and then we have virulent racist columnists completely tearing them apart and being nitpicky. So no, I don't think we have any valid critique about Black Lives Matter Toronto. With that being said, I have a lot of questions. And with Black Lives Matter, there's always a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. But if they were chosen as honoured guests of Pride, why did they not ever bring up their requests To Pride, they've had many meetings with them up until that point. Why did they not bring them up? Also, if this protest was about getting their demands met, why would they present them in the middle of the parade? Did they actually think that Pride was going to actually agree to all of their demands and do something about it in the middle of the street, during the middle of this large parade with the Prime Minister and the Premier of the province, waiting for them to clear the road? What did they want? Did you want to increase your relevance or did you want to bring about change? Because if you wanted to bring about change, you didn't.
1: Well, unless it's the same thing, right? Like, let's say that there's some specific demands that they could have brought up in a much more subtle and friendly way that wasn't as disruptive.
2: Not subtle and friendly, effective. Well,
1: their demands were agreed to. No, they
2: weren't agreed to.
1: You think that they're not going to actually honor any of that? They sent
2: out the black girl to come and clear them out of the road. It was all about starting the parade. Pride have already said that they're not going to get rid of the police, that that's not a decision that they can make, that it has to go to their board of executives. So They haven't actually agreed on anything. And it's the same thing with many of the things that Black Lives Matters do. The politicians say what they need to say, like the same thing with uh, their tent city. You know what I mean? They came out and said what they had to say to get you guys out of the police headquarters. And then, yeah, they haven't had their meeting yet. This meeting to be decided. They didn't even get a solid date. So in terms of how effective Black Lives Matter Toronto is, if all they want to do is start conversations, they may be effective in that. But these conversations are not even real. How many conversations go like the ones that we're having? And we have a bunch of CBC's power panel with a bunch of people talking about Black Lives Matter. And the only person on it who wasn't white was South Asian Supriya Duvetti. Yeah. You know what I mean? So in terms of bringing about actual change, there has not been any actual change. I
1: know there are people out there who are going to dispute, and I don't I don't have thorough enough knowledge about this, whether or not their demands – I mean, my understanding was that a lot of their demands were met and it was substantive. And, and I, I can see you're shaking your head and somebody who knows more about this should yeah. weigh in on that. I would suggest that beyond that, like if you were to put a price tag on like what it would cost to get the level of media exposure that they've gotten through both the Tent City action and this action – that they have been able to thrust their issues into the national conversation.
2: Now you bring up... And that's really admirable. The fact that they've managed to get the media's attention like that, that is one of the things that I'll, you know what I mean? I give them props for that. Isn't that because the whole point? Isn't that why yeah.
1: they wouldn't... Even-
2: but what is the point? Is the point to get my face on the news or is the point to bring about change for black people in Toronto? What are the goals? Because right now, you know what I mean? Yusra's all over the place. Alex is all over the place. But if the purpose is to bring about actual change and improve the lives of black people in toronto that's what i'm not seeing and like i said it's admirable during tent city brussels happened rob ford died and i think bowie died the fact that they still managed to maintain media attention when three humongous things happened that's really damn admirable their ability to get the media's attention is so useful right but useful to what end That's the problem I'm not seeing. Isn't it it a long game? I mean, aren't we like... But this had they've been playing a long game and nothing has happened. It's pretty When they went on the Gardener, they were on their... Wasn't that two years ago they had stormed the Gardener. Yeah. Two years later... You know what I mean?
1: I'm not in a position to speak for anybody and and if this is their strategy or not. I, I kind of have like a read on where this entire topic is at with Canadians. Yeah. And I think that merely by stirring the pot in a number of occasions... And drawing out of the woodwork some truly disgusting responses, they have forced the mainstream newsreader to actually realize something that no Canadian really wants to accept, which is that there's a huge undiagnosed racism problem, anti-black racism problem in Canadian society, and that there are things that people can get away with saying in Canadian newspapers that whatever else you want to say about how bad the situation is in America, at least they've set some terms. About systemic racism and about what is like acceptable to even voice in a mainstream forum. And we haven't even gotten there yet. So I see this as like a progressive thing, if only that it's really aggressively thrust this. But Desmond Cole did the same
2: thing with um, reinvigorating the discussion about systemic racism when he did the thing on carding. Carding is still a policy. Nothing has changed. And this is the problem. We always, and it's a Canadian thing as well. This discussion that we're having is the same thing as royal commissions. We have this discussion or we do these investigations and nothing happens happens. The lives of black people in Toronto do not improve. So in terms of starting a discussion, that is completely irrelevant to me. The discussion happening doesn't change poverty. The discussion doesn't change the fact the rates of black people being incarcerated increasing by, I think it was 43%. It doesn't change the fact that the rates of black people being abused, I mean, assaulted within prisons has changed. It doesn't change the rising poverty rates of black children. It doesn't change the fact that black people are overrepresented in CAS care. It doesn't change any of these things. So for their organization, these may be great goals. They're doing really well for themselves. But what is happening to actual black people? So what does change
1: those things? I mean, doesn't it start with discussion?
2: It starts with discussion. Nothing material is happening. We're just having all of these discussions and nothing is happening. And it's always in Canada. We always talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and nothing happens. So if you guys are talking about my problem and my problem doesn't improve, that means absolutely nothing. And the people on the streets who are actually, which also Black Lives Matter, when I talk about CAS care overrepresentation representation of black people in police care, all of these other things, these are not issues that they talk about. They talk about policing because they've taken the American model, applied it to Canada, and it doesn't really translate that way. But there are so many issues that they're not talking about that actually affect black people. This support that we're seeing in the media is not a support that ripples throughout the various black communities within the city.
1: September, on this show, at this time, we take a moment to take note of a couple things that we've noticed in the press popped up on our respective social feeds that maybe are worthy of uh, a moment or two of conversation. Of note? Of note. I took note of a article in the National Post by a writer who I I very much enjoy, Tristan Hopper. Mm -hmm. And Tristan Hopper does these great pieces where he goes through like archives and finds these weird old stories of, I guess, Canadiana. But this one was weird. The headline ran... The New Yorker who cheated death
2: for 49 days in Canada's north and was thrilled that she lost weight. (laughs) As somebody who is often envious of people who get, like, stomach flus or food poisoning because of all of the weight that they've lost in a short period of time, sometimes nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, then
1: you would be a fan of Tristan yeah. Hopper because uh, it, yeah. it basically
2: it, it's it's the story from this woman in the
1: 60s, you know, who found herself uh, in a, a little teeny plane that got stranded in the wilderness. It's it's an incredible survival story. Yeah. As told as a weight loss memoir in which this <laughs> plucky woman is celebrated for her personal triumph of having lost like 40 pounds. Imagine me weighing a hundred pounds," yeah. she is quoted as saying yeah. after, like, coming with a frostbitten foot out of. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a bit much to pay. It's actually incredible to read this thing, and it, it just goes on and on about how wonderful she is and how the press was like, "Wow, her skin is so good." Yeah, with her one good arm, she did like, a, Ta-da, "Look at me, world." And then the piece goes on to, like, this is where the piece actually gets dangerous. It goes into the medical background of like, well, actually, (laughs) there was this one grossly obese Scotsman who just stopped eating until he reached his target weight, and he didn't eat for 382 days. And this this newspaper piece, article in 2016, quotes a medical expert at the time as saying, well, prolonged fasting in this patient has no ill effects.
2: Yeah. uh Uh-huh. So, no. Uh, yeah. But also, I have tooth A, I need to read the piece and B, has anybody secured the movie or novel rights? Because this would make, you know what I mean? We have the Shopaholic series or um, Crazy Rich Asians. This would make a really great one of those fashion beach novels oh, it's about great. the woman who gets stranded. You know what I mean? We'll clean it up and we'll get rid of the frostbite part and all of those other things. But as a discussion of vanity. She lost 40 pounds and a couple of her toes.
1: And it's written like this is all just How like, much did those toes weigh? Well, every little that helps. Um, yeah. <laughs> our own Katie Jensen was shocked to be the first to duly note this article. And Tristan Hopper actually wrote her back to apologize. he, he The piece did not turn out the way he wanted it to. Yeah. And he's made some changes to it. I read the changed version and it still reads like a weight loss primer, like a
2: celebration of starvation. It does. But uh it's just
1: something that I wanted to duly note. Duly noted. September, what do you have for us?
2: um Well, I was looking in Metro and I saw that there was a story in there about getting rid of the fences at Carabana. Um, They usually have fences between 14 to 9 feet tall. And it's interesting because Carabana is kind of an emancipation celebration in which you've got these really tall fences fencing black people in. The story of Carabana or its recent history has been about major problems. There's always something wrong at Carabana. I don't know if it's past glory or if it may become what it has the opportunity to become. I mean, Carabana is this
1: event that... People throughout the Caribbean flock to Toronto. It is a global destination. Well,
2: throughout the Caribbean diaspora, you have people coming from England all over the world to come to Caravana.
1: Right. It's a very special thing that we have here in Toronto. And the rest of us read about it when somebody gets hurt.
2: Yes. When somebody gets shot. Yeah. Which doesn't actually happen very often, but over a million people come to this parade yearly. And so the idea... No violence should happen, but it does happen. It's just like sexual assaults happen at Pride or at the Puerto Rican Day Parade in New York. It has a really bad rap. Some of it is earned and some of it is totally unearned. At the end of the day, it's a parade of black people um, that was moved from the heart of Toronto along Bay Street to the boonies. It's not the boonies, but it's boonies for me because I'm a Torontonian, but the boonies of the lakeshore. You know what I mean? For
1: the lakeshore now. But yeah.
2: Yeah. Next year is Carabana's 50th anniversary. And I really hope they get their things together to make that a really great thing. Because it started at the 1967 Expo and it was a gift to Toronto and also a celebration of a small Caribbean community. Also, it was testament to say that we are here. You know what I mean? We exist in this Canadian landscape and see us. And it should be so liberatory. um, And it hasn't been. Duly noted.
1: Happy belated Canada Day. (laughs) September? No. Nope. Not like Caravana for you? Not Not doing
2: uh... it. Not doing it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The Guardian is doing it. The Guardian did Canada Week, a celebration of sorts
2: of Canada. I guess.
1: Where, as we are (laughs) often represented in the international press, our own Stephen Marsh, my friend, wrote a piece on Toronto's moment as the city of of the coming century.
2: Well, the most remarkable boring city was the
1: it was one of these kind of like think piecey twists of like it's boring but it's so boring that it's fascinating
2: but he also speaks about our love for diversity and how immigrants don't come here and suffer for success toronto may be the
1: last city in the world that unabashedly desires difference I mean, a lot of this, like, he extols how free from crime uh, and peaceful. And there's a little bit of, like, one of Stephen's uh, themes, which is that we will always favor people who are reliable over people who are brilliant.
2: But then why wasn't Stephen Dion elected prime minister if it was about reliability over brilliance?
1: (laughs) Not to single out Stephen, there seems to be a larger thing happening now. Where the Trudeau mania.
2: Trudeau mania 2.0. I think 2. it's important 0, to note.
1: God help us all. That, that We've been doing this since the election. We've been saying like Canada's back. Yes. We are who we want to think of ourselves as. And other people are buying into that. You know, there was that New York Times piece a while back, and now there's yeah. the Guardian, and, and it just seems like it's growing and growing. This well, this,
2: so uh, many people. I mean, how many articles have been written about how West Queen West is one of the coolest streets in the world? Vogue did a piece. It's just the myth of Canada is just really great, cuddly teddy bear where nothing goes wrong. Yeah, and, and I think that, that is free.
1: that's been enduring and that's been around for a long time. Yeah, that's how seen, we sell ourselves. That's true, and then sometimes people are buying, and I think that maybe it's something to do with just how chaotic the rest of the world seems right now, that people like this idea like that, oh, Trump, but there's Canada. Brexit, but there's Canada. Terrorism, but there's Canada. Usually we're just the ones thinking of ourselves that way. And now it's like we're getting that validation. But you know? we
2: did get a lot of international recognition during the Ford years. So I don't think we can forget uh, that media attention <laughs> that we received then. Well, that's an interesting point of contrast, right? Like It was just
1: yesterday. Yeah. That we were getting this new kind of attention in a different way, yes. which was people were saying, oh, I used to think of Canada as this really nice progressive place, but I'm starting to hear about this
2: Harper. What are the oil sands? Who's this mayor? What's going on up there? And we really didn't like that. But now we're on the flip side where we've got our quote unquote hot mayor who does yoga and talks about quantum physics. Um, And I remember he did a talk at NYU in which people are like, oh, it was so great to see like the leader of a country and there was we actually got to interact with him. There was no security there. We have been presenting ourselves as this place that doesn't have any problems whatsoever, which is really an issue since we do have problems that do need to be addressed and that there's this kind of veil or this cloak of invincibility that surrounds yeah. Trudeau in which he really can't do anything. Even there's the Negro spiritual that... Uh, his wife sang <laughs> at the M O K Awards ceremony. You know what I mean? <laughs> Teflon Don uh, rolled right off of her.
1: <laughs> that will never fail to get a laugh from me. Oh, my God. You know, there was a moment where I would say these things like, well, like, I, he's, he's he's actually hugging panda bears and his wife is singing like, like I'm going to get diabetes from the Trudeaus, you know? Yeah. And people were like, come on, let me have this. It's the honeymoon. It's been so bad in Canada for so long. We're past the honeymoon and we're past the point where it's just like harmless fluff. Yes. The fluff is now so fluffy that we can't actually have, like, a fucking... Meaningful conversations. Yes. So we have the Three Amigos Summit, and the press is filled with these, like, weird fanfic stories about thigh-grazing shorts as, you know, the hot Trudeau and the hot Mexican president... The are, bromance. The bromance. And... and I'm like, dude, a week earlier, the Mexican president's paramilitary cops opened fire on a unarmed group of protesting teachers in Oaxaca. Yes, Yeah. Killing eight of them. Trudeau did mention this, something about human rights. When China's foreign minister was in town, our press grilled him about human rights. Yes. To my knowledge, there was one Mexican reporter who asked the Mexican president about this massacre. Yes. Uh, And our press otherwise was like
2: creaming their jeans. Yep.
1: Over the three amigos.
2: Yeah, and that's what the problem, like even I was, you know what I mean, as before I came on the show and I was reading an article that I had posted about Trudeau handing over biographical information about Canadians traveling to the US to the Americans. Like you're eroding our privacy um, and doing all of these other things, but nobody's talking about it because, oh my God, his hair. Trudeau is a politician. He is the leader of Canada. He's not Justin Bieber, he is not Kanye West. We are more critical of Kanye West than we are of the Prime Minister of Canada. <laughs> and we're journalists. Yeah. We are not Shinangovani who writes about celeb news. Yeah. I thought we were serious journalists, but I'm not getting any serious journalism. It's you, just. Do you want to hear
1: some serious journalism? Here's some serious emotion about the Trudeau cabinet.
0: I want to go. Where,
1: where do you want to go?
0: I want to go to Bollinger. To see who?
1: To see it. Oh, but Harjit Sajjan is out uh, in his constituency in BC.
0: But they want him. (laughs) Please, they want to go to Canada today. But it's raining. I'm so sorry, But they want to go
2: to
1: Canada (laughs) today. Poor two year old just wanted to see Harjit Sajjan.
2: I think the poor two year old just wants a nap.
1: <laughs> and his dad, <laughs> he's like a, like a showbiz dad, but yep. instead it's like a political propaganda showbiz <laughs> dad. Exactly, yes. That story had legs, okay? There was yep. like a follow up to that story of the two year old who didn't get to see Harjit Sajjan, the Minister of Defense, where Harjit Sajjan then promised in a video that he would meet the two year old, who had obviously been coached to say how much the kid. And I yep. don't, I know there's an element of this to have. Harjit Sajjan and and the representation of a Sikh uh, Canadian in in, in that kind of position that's meaningful. I don't take anything away from yes
2: exactly the relevance
1: of that. However, but this is like state media at this point. Like like these are pieces about like glorious leaders and the fawning public that are presented to us uh, in, in a world detached from. I mean like like. Obama just chided Canada for not pulling its own weight in NATO. There's all sorts of things we could. Instead, we're talking about the two-year-old. And then we will get that story where they meet. That'll happen, too. Yes, of
2: course. It'll be a really feel-good story. And you know what I mean? I'm sure she'll be really well-dressed and we'll get a lot of hugging and kissing. And that's the problem. Our job as the media is to be critical. And I'm sorry, this is a non-story. Like, you know, maybe you're doing the news and you pop in one feel-good piece and then you get to the more serious stuff. But to completely follow this, and I know there's another link of her reciting the names of some of the cabinet ministers. It's interesting because this isn't state media. You know what I mean? We don't get, well, other than CBC, we don't get paid out. Um, we don't, You know what I mean? We don't get financial support from the government. So there's no need for us to not report on serious stories. I mean, you know, it's been a
1: smear against CBC to call them state media the way that... uh, Yes, I don't... It isn't, yes. The way that that China or Russia has actually, like, a propaganda arm. But, like, it's getting increasingly difficult to make that argument. Like, no, it's a public broadcaster. It's got an arm's length distance. I know this isn't because there's any specific influence. Yes, not at all. Absolutely not at all. And I know that it's not to the exclusion of serious journalism, which is happening. Uh, And I think, like, come on, lighten up. So what if there's a viral fluffy piece? But, like, you can't pretend that those fluffy pieces are just the fun stuff after everybody's read the serious stuff. Yes, no. When they are completely overtaking the serious stuff. And in in some cases, like just stopping us from even asking the questions that we would otherwise... But also these
2: people are the people who have the access to ask the questions and they're not asking the questions. It's not like regular... Joe Schmo can ask questions of the Prime Minister or or ask questions of Harjit Sajjan. These are the people who are supposed to ask the questions and you're doing bromance stories and oh my god look at the cute little two-year-old who really wants you know what I mean? We need ask the questions.
1: Maybe if that two-year-old had met Harjit Sajjan that two-year-old would have asked the
2: serious questions. If only.
1: Thank you, September. Yes,
2: you're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> that is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at any time. I'm at Jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. September, where can people
2: find you? Oh, I'd rather they didn't. At September A. September is spelled the French way. S-E-P-T-E-M-B-R-E-A. Our website is canadalandshow.com
1: and our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash... Canada Land. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. Canada Land is syndicated to community and campus radio stations across the country for free, and that is handled by Russell Gragg. If you like what we do, please support us.